Hey, I'm Ryan Short with Civic Brand, and you are listening to Eyes on the Street podcast. Uh, got Brisa Byford, senior strategist with Civic Brand, here with me. Brisa, what's up, and what are we what are we talking about today? Hey, Ryan. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about you know the role of both quantitative and qualitative research in branding projects, and just the, the things we've seen from that, the differences between the two, and, and where they overlap. Awesome. And I think we have a, a guest joining us as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam Probalski from Probalski Research is joining us uh, to, to give his take. You're listening to Eyes on the Street, a civic brand podcast. Conversations on community branding, engagement and marketing. So, hey, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. Um, so we work together on projects doing research and engagement. And I guess I'm curious, first, how did you how did you get into this? So my introduction to market research uh, was uh, through the opinion research side. We, uh, I got involved in politics and public policy at a young age and uh, understood that you pretty much don't take any action in, in uh, government or politics without understanding what the people think. Uh, you don't necessarily always do what they want, but you understand what they're thinking so you can be responsive uh, or at least kind of nuance your message. And uh, that, quite frankly, is a very natural and normal progression to uh, to brands and uh, and making sure that uh, you know brands will have the same need to understand uh, what people think about them and and also more importantly, you know how to how to communicate with the the potential customers and clients and uh, other folks that they care about. So I'm curious, Adam, just what do you feel like you know the specific role of that type of research is in branding projects? So we're big believers, obviously, in research uh, on the front end and the back end and the middle of, of any kind of a branding project. Uh, if, if you've got uh, an offering that that the public, a public facing offering, whether that you're a nonprofit or you're a government agency or you're the biggest hotel chain in the world, um, you're, you're generally trying to find out what people think, uh, how they relate to you. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of brands these days that want to build a relationship with with the the public with their customers um i personally oftentimes resist a relationship with a, a brand because i just want to get the product or the service um and so i think there's some balance there uh others obviously with let's say apple right we have a relationship with apple there is no avoiding that and and they are obviously amazing at product development they're also pretty darn good at doing the research they need to be responsive to their customer. So, you know, obviously it's an amazing uh, example because they've got, you know, unlimited resources essentially to, to do all those things. But even a, a, a smaller brand or a smaller organization can, you know, understand on the front end, okay, here's my offering. Here's what, uh, what the public thinks of it. Uh, here's how we meet our market, right? As far as pricing goes and, and as far as, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
time frame and all those different things. So you can really use research on the front end of whatever it is you're trying to accomplish to understand how to launch and, and how to present yourself. Um, test over time to correct for changes. Uh, so if you've got new players entering the market or uh, you know a pandemic, um, right? You have to make some changes and then testing uh, on some regular interval uh, to benchmark your your results to give yourself a sense of, okay, we're accomplishing our goal. I mean, a perfect example uh, that, that, you know, we do all the time, it, you know, of course, is the uh, tracking data over time to know if we're making progress. Is our ad buys making a difference? I mean, you guys are making the ad buy, you're, 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 you're based on data to figure out uh, if, um, you know, who, who we want to target. And then we're testing to see if it's actually having the impact that we want it to have. Yeah. And I want to go back to something you said at the beginning there, because you, you know, you mentioned whether, you know, sometimes you about following the data, sometimes you don't do what people want. Sometimes you do based on the data. And I think Apple's actually a really interesting example of that. You know, sometimes they kind of, because, because I think one approach to analyzing that data is you can just always follow the data and just, this is what the customer said. This is what we should do. Um, but I think there's a real nuanced approach that's needed to understand the data, what it's saying, what the customer's saying, but can still have that design leadership or brand leadership to use that to inform where you go and don't just follow the data blindly. Um, and Apple's done that a number of times when they do things that probably upset people, like they get rid of headphone jacks and it's like, no one asked for that. They just did it. And I, it reminds me of the Henry Ford, you know, ask them what they want. They'd say a faster horse or something like that. And so sometimes right. you have to kind of infer that. So I'm curious your thoughts on, you know, when you guys are looking at data and a customer clearly is saying something, but you kind of feel like maybe you, that's, you don't need to just blindly follow that. You need to use that to inform a different direction. I, I think it's it's great. I mean, the Apple example is perfect. Like I have an Apple watch, you know, I, there are tweets out there. I think that still exist of me hating on the idea of a watch. I wanted like a pendant or something, you know, <laughs> I don't think they were going to ever create the Apple pendant. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, for sure, uh, we look at research and we make recommendations to our clients based on the research. And, and you're absolutely right, Ryan. It's not just uh, they want, you know, the, the, the square widget and, 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 you know, we want to create the blue one. So we make a, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, linear choices, you know, between them. I, I think you've got to be responsive and, and it may just be that the, the, the square widget, you know, uh, has some attributes to it that, that, that people are attracted to, but it's not really what they eventually really want, or it doesn't fit into the model. So we just have to figure out what it is they're really looking for. And, and I mean, you know, it happens all the time where we, we, we find details that people are attracted to. Uh, we call them features and benefits. Uh, and, and we kind of break down everything, whether it's a like we talked about, like a new hotel or a, a tax measure, uh, or or you know some some new visual. Uh, what are the attributes, those specific features and benefits that people care about and are attracted to? And then we use those to build the product or build the message or, or build the outreach uh, communications. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect example of where you know the very quantitative, statistically valid research that might be telling you people want one thing is blended with the qualitative stuff of focus groups and just talking to people so that you can see, you know, the data is telling me this, but from hearing their story, those two things combined, I actually know, you know, we need to go in this direction. 
we uh, we say all the time in, in the perfect uh, re- research environment, we start with quality, qualitative research and, and then move to quantitative. And here's our rationale. Um, we can sit on a Zoom call or in a conference room if that's ever allowed again, and we uh, can uh, can come up with all the things we know about our client and uh, and we're with the client and, and and put everything on the table. But it's always in the context or oftentimes in the context of that client's headquarters, that client's building and 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 the the, the brilliant people in that organization. And they have a really clear idea of what their organization is like and what they're offering is like. But uh, when we start talking to people in a conversational way, neighbor to neighbor, we find out different things that people think and different people ways people talk about them, uh, different ways people relate to them. And, and that's what that discovery process is, um, what we love as researchers, because then we can take that and put it into a real test environment like a quantitative survey and, and say, oh, okay, uh, yeah, the, the 16 people in, a, in focus groups that said something uh, actually came up with something real, or, you know, hey, the four or five people that said something in a focus group, like, yeah, people don't really care about that. Uh, so uh, we can test those ideas that came up, but in, inevitably, we hear something in a, in a in a qualitative environment, whether it's an in-person focus group or an online discussion or whatever that looks like, uh, that we didn't know before or we didn't talk about before, uh, and that's like yeah, that's really cool. What are your thoughts on uh, whether it's political or or city leaders? You know, I, I see sometimes people tend to try to use data just to prove that they're right, right? And so, like, let's say. We, let's say even for us, like we have, we think we should do this with the brand. We can go find the data that supports what we already thought. And we can kind of ignore the stuff that, that doesn't support what we already thought. I guess just what are your thoughts in that? And how do we, how do we avoid that? And, and you know, because it's that combination. We just talked about how like you don't want to just blindly follow the data. But then at the same time, you don't want to just do what you were going to do anyways and just use data to like usher your idea through. Look in the in the place where you know where you want to go, uh, and uh, you want to create an environment, a permissive environment for having support to get there. You know, we we tend to call that, especially with government policymakers, we call that courage in a bottle. So it's uh, it's courage in a bottle uh, for the elected officials when you show them data that says, hey, the public supports this, they're on board, and then the, the mayor or the county supervisor or legislator can, can stand back and say, oh, I wasn't sure how I felt about this, but now you show me that the public is supportive so I can be on board. If you do this X, Y, and Z based upon the data, those things that they're the highest level of support attributes of the project, right? It, it's a it's a very clean line, you know, way of of getting support and demonstrating support. Um, but obviously, you're going to fail miserably, whether it's on month two or year five, if you literally just create data that proves your point and isn't really representative. And so, I think one of our key, you know, methodological you know, uh, requirements, uh, you know, there's not a lot of ethical, uh, you know, um, 
ethical requirements of pollsters and researchers, uh, you know, from a, from a brand standpoint. But, you know, we, we stand pretty firm on having representative data. So the way you do that is, you know, sure, you can go interview 100 people and ask them about soccer. And if they're all baseball players, it's not going to make a difference. So you got to make sure you reach the right audience in the right demographics. So based on age and gender and geography and, and uh, you know, playtime and, you know, religion or whatever attribute that's important in that particular project. And, and if you if you miss the mark on that, right, or let's say you have a big Spanish-speaking population and you say, oh, we're just doing English uh, or a Chinese population or whatever it is that, that is different than, than, you know, the you've got to dive in and make sure you're getting the right attributes or the right percentage of people from all those different demographics. Um, and, and if you do that, you're going to be much more successful. Yeah, I think that relates a lot to something that we talk about of just the idea of equity and engagement, you know, and making sure that we're not just reaching the people who are the loudest, but we're making the extra effort to reach the demographics that, you know, are generally underserved or quieter, like, you know, uh, the, the Spanish population and trying to reach them or, or, you know, things like that, just making sure that it's equitable, not necessarily equal. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple key factors there. Obviously, you know, pretty much anything we do in the U.S., if it's a quantitative research, uh, it includes a Spanish component in, in 2021, right? We have been for a decade, quite frankly. Uh, and the important thing there is uh, most Americans speak English, so it doesn't, it's not like you have to do it, but you get a much richer set of data by including the two to 12% of the Americans who prefer to speak Spanish uh, and make it, they're more comfortable in Spanish. And all of a sudden you get a much more realistic set of data. The same thing goes for mode. Um, you, you know, on a, on a broad scale nationally, or let's say city of Los Angeles, even, you know, or, or you know, city of Miami, a big, big uh, environment of millions of people, um, uh, you can do, let's say just an online survey and be, be just fine in, in the, the data. Um, but if you're talking about a specific group, like, uh, you know, a, a town in, in Tennessee, um, you've got to add different, uh, uh, modes to that. You've got to call people on the phone. I know it sounds kind of foreign to a lot of younger people these days, but, you know, people still answer the phone and, and you've got to call them because people answer their landline. There's still a few of those around and their mobile phone. Um, you've got to email them or text them. Uh, you've got to use different modes if you're going to be in a, in an environment where you, you can't get a representative sample in other ways. Uh, and you've got to be sensitive to that. So, you know, obviously, you know, there's uh, you can't just call people. You can't just email people, uh, depending on the, the scenario. And and, um, you've, and sometimes, right, sometimes in, in tourism-related uh, work, we've got to be on the, on the ground. We've got to be at the airport and ask the question about, uh, you know, travelers to people who just got off a plane or, or in the hotel lobby and ask them about their experience. Um, so, you know, it just depends on, I, I think, I think researchers that are, uh, you know, strident about, you know, one mode or one way of doing things are researchers that are, you know, old school and don't really have the, um, don't really have the, the, the current chops to figure out how to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do see that equity approach. It's relevant to both the qualitative and the quantitative and, um, you know, you kind of were just explaining this, but 
you know, on the, on the qualitative side for us, that means, you know, like you said, we've got to go to the people where they are. We've got to reach them with the mode and, and where they are and where they're comfortable, the language they're comfortable in. Um, on the quantitative side, especially with a statistically valid survey, can you speak a little bit to that idea of oversampling? in? Because that's a question that we get a lot from clients of, you know, if we have a, a certain number of people that we've got to hit to make it statistically valid, how do we ensure that of those people, they're not all just one demographic that we yeah, so I mean, from a, a you know a survey or a poll standpoint, uh, you, you start out with your population, and if it's you know railroad engineers, and you, you know you got to find all the railroad engineers and and you know identify where they all are in the country, and and um, and you set up essentially quotas, right? You you know, okay, there's you know on a survey, a hundred railroad engineers, they're they're you know dispersed you know equally with the the regions in the U.S. and um, uh, and so you can kind of and and they're ninety seven percent male, uh, and or whatever the the case is, and you kind of develop that that statistical background, so you know you're matching that. But um, if you if you you think there is an important element of let's say making sure we have a real clear picture among uh, railroad engineers in the West or railroad engineers that speak Spanish or or female railroad engineers, right? You you can do what you call an oversample, and that is we're still getting our hundred. Uh, representative of the overall statistical model for the uh, for the universe, but we're going to grab an extra 20 or so uh, of the female engineers because we want to get a clearer picture of them. And we do that a decent amount of the time because you know, let's say you're you're polling in 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 Florida, um, and uh, a statewide sample is fantastic. But you know, you want to get uh, a clear sense of what's happening in Orlando, Miami, and Jacksonville. Um, you're only going to have, let's say, in a statewide poll, a thousand respondents. You're only going to have, you know, maybe a couple hundred people in any one of those markets uh, because they're not huge, huge markets. And so it's helpful. It's statistically interesting. But in order to get, let's say something that's truly, truly valid in each one of those markets, you might have to do an oversample of hundreds of people in those markets to get a sense of things and be able to break down data based on the, the demographics that make it, you know, targetable. Yeah. I think that's so important because I think some people and, you know, assume that the statistically valid when it is a, you know, you're, you're not, you know, cause to make it statistically valid, it needs to be a random sampling. You still have to have that. And I think, you know, right. even my understanding early on until we started getting deeper into it was that that made it harder to be equitable because if you, if it has to be purely random, you can't make that extra effort to get people. But um, right. understanding that oversampling is, is kind of how the equity side works on, on that side of things. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios where that's helpful. Uh, you know, sometimes you have, you know, uh, in a lot of cases we have government agencies that are teaming up uh, to to do projects together, and you'll have one agency that has, you know, a hundred thousand population, and the other, you know, the one city and the other city has a population of like twelve thousand. So it's like, oh yeah, we do a, a, a poll across two agencies. You know, yeah, we know exactly what's happening, but the smaller city is like, well, wait a second, I don't really know what's happening in my city. Um, so we will do an oversample in, in the smaller city to give them that, that, uh, level of certainty. Yeah. I think that, you know, extra level of effort to make sure that we're reaching everybody is just, it plays such an important role in the branding process in general and like producing community buy-in and making sure that whatever comes out of the project is actually 
going to be implemented and people can rally around it, like that showing that extra level of effort, I think is just so important. Look, from a a community input standpoint, especially when you're talking about government, uh, we, um, I don't want to say we don't care, but we care about the the statistically valid outcome to be able to inform the 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 policymakers, the consultants that we work with, like like you guys, and 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 just in general have that that clear, real you know math model that says this is the real numbers. Um, we sometimes, especially with government, we sometimes just say, okay, fine. Beyond our regular survey, we're done with our 300 or 400 completed responses. We'll put an online survey out there, uh, it, not to, to ignore, but more importantly, to make sure that no one can say that they were left behind. So you, the city or the agency or whoever it is can promote the, that on social media. They can put on their website. Uh, we can do whatever they want to promote it. So everybody has a chance to weigh in. And oftentimes that survey is, well, that survey is not statistically valid. It's sometimes skewed because you have, you know, different players trying to influence the outcome of that. And because it's, it's not self, it's, it's self-selected, but that's okay. We report those data differently, uh, separately, but at least everyone can say I had a voice. Uh, so that's, and, and that's, you know, a pretty easy thing to do and something we do pretty often to make sure that no one can say that I was left behind. Are there any specific examples of projects that that you've done that you think like, you know, without doing this specific task, you know, whether it's without calling people, what, without doing that extra online survey you just talked about, like without something like that, you would have missed like a key data point. Yeah. So we just finished a uh, project for a water district in Oregon. And uh, this was the first year that they had a had a multi-mode situation, a multi-mode survey. Previously, they'd used an online panel that was associated with a publication in, in the community. And uh, not disparaging that data, it was, uh, it was useful for a long time for them, but it, it wasn't as inclusive as going out to the broader population who isn't engaged in reading a news publication and, and signing up for a panel and things like like that. So, so for sure, it was a great illustration of, of how, uh, uh, how broadening the universe of respondents gave them a better, richer set of data. Also, um, it, uh, we included Spanish. 8% of the people chose in that community to respond in Spanish, whereas they had never had Spanish before. So those two key features made a massive, uh, well, a significant difference in the validity of the data, but also uh, a, a big difference in the outcome of the data, which you know, in some cases, there's maybe a little hand wringing because the numbers have kind of come down a little bit about where awareness and things like that, because it's not just the engaged few, it's the, you know, masses who don't really focus on government uh, who are answering. So um, we've basically created a brand new benchmark for them going forward to be able to have a real assessment of what the community is thinking. So I, I guess the, the point there is there's big difference we, we, we see already, you know, it's not just just the time since the last survey, it was the methodology used that was much more inclusive, uh, both representative wise and with the Spanish speaking population to give them more data. So it's a clear, clear example of, you know, big, big difference in the, in the outcome of the data. And, and, you know, from a, you know, 
you're taking it to the next step, you know, for, for, for your, your purposes, you know, you're now going to, you know, have a better picture of where to advertise, who to reach out to, how to do your social, what your key messages are, you know, all that sort of rollout of the campaign is, is in a much stronger position because you know, the, the, the data based on fact, you know, based on, based on statistics. Yeah. So you know, with a branding and you kind of mentioned messaging, you know, specifically, you know, messaging is such a huge part of branding, right? Like how are we describing this place or how are we summing up, an, you know, such a complex community in a, in a statement? That's such a challenge. And so we're always kind of desperately looking for like, what's that big idea or what's the perfect way to summarize that? And, you know, I'm a big believer that that idea can come from anywhere, whether it's your intern to the creative director or studying data and the data shows you, or even just a one-off statement from somebody that says something in a focus group. And you're like, ah, the way he said that summarizes everything we've been hearing. And right. one of the things that you guys do that I like, I'm curious you to talk about a little more is the video, um, the videos where you have like video responses of like real humans and how that puts a real human behind a statement that otherwise would have been a data point. I think the example that I saw was people responding to the Amazon H2Q um, or HQ. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that and kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah. So we invented a technology and I use the, the word word invented in technology loosely because uh, we don't, we don't think that anything we do is brain surgery, uh, but we created this really cool scenario of being able to go out in a very quick fashion and collect hundreds of responses to a question on video uh, on any device. Um, and uh, we did it as a demonstration project when Amazon pulled out of uh, HQ2 out of New York. Uh, we, within an hour or two, were in the field and collected a hundred plus responses from people. And we asked them, who do you blame? Do you blame Amazon? or do you blame the, the elected officials, the politicians? And, and uh, the numbers were about even, but we got really cool visuals of people saying, you know, who they blame and why. And, and exactly what you're saying, Ryan, is, is it gave us the words that they use so we now understand, you know, what is driving their thought process and, and also how to start talking about it. You know, we might have talked about that subject matter uh, in much more austere terms or much more Amazon-centric terms or much more political-centric terms. And they told us the words that they're using so we can kind of mirror, mirror that back to people. Um, and, it, and it's it's really, uh, really great to be able to have that visual. Um, sometimes that we're doing it in a research setting where we can't release those visuals publicly. In some other cases, we tell people ahead of time, you know, we're going to release this publicly and it's a part of their decision-making process to, to respond. Um, and, and all of a sudden you get really interesting, you know, responses. Um, and the, the, some of the key features of it are speed, right? You can get, it's only, we call it a field focus group. You can be in the field in, in, in you know, less than an hour uh, and you can have responses within hours and you can have an edited video that you can, you know, show a client or more importantly, start using the data from right away. And, and I, by the way, what you just said about in a, you know, he, you know an intern or a creative director or hearing it in a, in a group setting or whatever, I, I totally agree. There's, there's things that are seared in my mind from, uh, from, you know, a group setting, uh, that, that, you know, some citizen says, uh, you know, they're not a marketing genius, but they've created some set of words that are like, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah. And you also get that you don't get just the words, but when it's on video, you get the emotion and the passion. So if they're saying, yeah, I blame Amazon, 
are they are they like mad and they're like i blame amazon are they like i guess i blame amazon like you know you can see that and sometimes that nuance isn't in the like just pure quantitative um yeah you have to see that and and feel the passion and be like it's 50 50 but the people that are no are mad you know yeah yeah we have techniques and quantitative uh we ask intensity questions you know very somewhat um but but you're 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 right i mean again it's still static numbers on a page and and you don't see it um we also have done those video projects uh for for nonprofits, um and and you also tend to see kind of um a side of people that you don't sometimes want to see, right? You you see people in those settings like spew hate and anger, uh, and 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 as much as that's like hard to watch, um, it's really helpful to know that, that exists uh, and and to know what demographic is feeling that way. Uh, and sometimes you want to take some corrective action. Sometimes you just want to isolate those people. Uh, you know, we we talk in terms of of champions and detractors sometimes, <clears throat> and so from a you know, we want to, we tend to talk about, uh, you know, empowering champions and isolating detractors uh, and, and having that video understanding of it can sometimes help you do that a lot better. So I guess I'm just curious, Adam, like your, your take on what the right balance is of the, the quantitative and the qualitative, like where, is, where on the spectrum should you fall? I, I, this is the answer that probably no one wants to hear. It, it's, uh, it's really depending on the project. So, uh, and, and a lot of that also depends on the budget, you know, in that perfect world, like you'll put me in a room, you'll tell me the project and I'll give you the million dollar budget and, you know, all the amazing research things that we want to accomplish. Um, but sometimes, uh, you know, a a lot of the time it's, it's going to be a poll. It's going to be a survey because if we want to get, you know, useful data that we can take action on, uh, and, and roll out in a, in a big way, it's going to be a survey. And, And so that's, you know, we're going to lean towards if that's you know the limited budget we have um in in uh you know other settings you know the qualitative is really important because they've never done anything like that before and it's a, a dicey issue or it's a very emotional issue um and uh and i'll give you an example we did some work for a um uh, uh, senior housing builder. They build uh, apartment communities for senior house for seniors, and uh, y- you know we could have easily done a, a survey among hundred or a thousand, however many seniors, and asked them a series of questions. But they really wanted to also show uh, what the product looked like and get reaction about the different features, like you know meals and 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 cleaning services and uh, you know chess club and and mahjong and all the different things and the and the cool environment. Environment, you know, the, the, the fireside chats and things like that. And so the, really the better way to do that was in a focus group. So they said, look, we've got a limited budget. How do you want to do this? And, and we said, let's do a focus group. Let's, let's bring in you know, a little bigger normal the normal group of people and, and show them all these different things. And they also, I should have said, they wanted to understand the price point too. Uh, and so we said, oh, we can accomplish that in, in, in a focus group. So it, I think it really depends on, on the project. Uh, and and I, I think, you know, a, a good pollster, a good market researcher is going to, you know, have an open mind when they come in the door and, and not have some strident position on this is how it's got to be. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely think it's true. You know, that there's a saying that, you know, your real priorities show up in your budget right? It's easy to say, like, we value research, we value engagement. But if you look at the budget, if it's not there, it's like, do you really value that? Or are you just needing to check it off and say, we did a survey, 
Um, and, so, and so, yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. The, the one other thing that that's kind of been coming to my mind over the last you know several minutes of our conversation um, and thinking about our work that we've done is uh, Ryan, I can remember. So, so with Heartland Lakes in Minnesota, I can remember like the specific moment almost um, one morning when we were there, when we were filming that like bike ride along the Heartland trail. And I can remember us kind of having that aha, you know, the challenge of that project was how are we going to combine all of these little different communities? You know, what, what is that going to be referred to as? How can we collectively you know, bring them together? Um, and the, you know, existing name was, was kind of long and a mouthful and no one really identified with that. And so I can remember just that, like talking, I think to those random people, just like walking their dog or someone riding by something like that, where, where it all kind of clicked for us that Heartland Lakes is the collective name. And, and that's just something we would have never gotten through just a survey. Yeah. And we had to be there. I mean, I remember that moment too. I remember it was kind of rainy. We were standing on the side of the trail watching and we were like, that trail literally connected the communities physically. And it took us standing there watching people, talking to people. And so, you know, yeah, I, I do think that that's, an, you know, such an important part that, you know, there's definitely ways around it that we've gotten smart with technology to do that kind of stuff during COVID and during wildfires when we can't be certain places. Um, but so much of that is kind of just, I think, going there, standing where people stand and listening to them and, and talking. Yeah. Well, Adam, I'm super excited to, to keep working with you on, on future projects. I appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. If, if people are interested in kind of learning more about your firm, where should they, where should they go to look you guys up? I think search Provolsky Research, uh, call, email, text, tweet, whatever it is. Uh, we'd love to. We Likewise, we, we love the idea of continuing our work together. And um, uh, I'd love to hear from anybody who uh, who's interested in working with us. Awesome. Well, thanks and have a great one. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to Eyes on the Street, a Civic Brand podcast. For more information on Civic Brand, please visit civicbrand.com or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.